Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Beyer and I will be your host. Today's guest, I welcome Brianne Fleming. Go Gators! Brianne is a adjunct professor at the University of Florida teaching marketing. She is also a marketing consultant and hosts the Twitter chat called Pop Chat. Today we're going to talk with Brianne about all things social media marketing with the twist of pop culture. It's a very fun conversation and we also get into the ins and outs of communications when it comes to professionals and also students. Welcome Brianne. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets and I'm excited to introduce my guest Brianne Fleming. Hey Brianne, how are you? I'm doing well. Glad we could make this work. Yes, yes. So for the talk- moment yeah, yeah, very spur of the moment. Um, so we have a couple things in common. I used to teach at University of Florida social media management, and you are you are actually currently teaching at University of Florida. And you also, I love your one of your your areas of expertise is pop culture, and you weave that into your content. So tell us a little bit about your journey, like how you got to where you are, and what else you're doing besides teaching at UF. Absolutely. So I mean, thinking about pop culture, it's funny that you say that that's my expertise because it's just something I've loved my whole life. And I think just over time, I'm starting to be seen that way, which is still funny to me, but I've just loved pop culture since I was a little girl. I grew up in the boy band, uh, blonde bombshell pop diva era, you might say of the late nineties, early two thousands. And I just absorbed everything about that moment in music. And I really started incorporating pop culture references slowly into my lectures just because I felt like my students may have been tired of always hearing about, oh, here's what Nike's doing well, or here's what Apple's doing, or here's Airbnb's great marketing campaign. I was realizing that I could teach them about marketing from things that they already love because their TV shows that they love still need to get promoted. Their musicians that they like still have albums to, to put out and different social strategies and things like that. So once I started it weaving it, weaving it into my lectures and course content, I thought this is a fun thing to incorporate into my social media presence as well. And it feels more true to me. And like I naturally would want to talk to people through these references rather than positioning myself as, oh, I'm a professor of marketing and I always need to have these sort of textbook examples. So that's really how it started to come to light. But before I started teaching, I did marketing for several different corporations, but now I've since branched out, still doing the teaching, but now focusing more on consulting and the podcast and other projects on my own. Sounds awesome. Tell us about Pop Chat. Pop Chat is my baby. So uh, Pop Chat is a Twitter chat that I host every Friday where I connect with other marketers usually, or really anyone can come, but I discuss pop culture news for the week and we go over some marketing lessons behind them. So uh, let's see, for instance, I just saw last night that the, uh, the one of the playoff football games was aired on Nickelodeon which is so different, but there's a whole strategy behind that. So since that's sort of trending in pop culture news, that'll definitely be a question on Friday. I'll ask my audience, what do you think the strategy is behind Nickelodeon wanting to air a football game or potentially um, trying to introduce football to younger audiences? They blow me away just with their responses and how smart everyone is. 
So I feel really lucky that I get to learn from so many different people and perspectives. Definitely. And I just love that you're doing Twitter chats. I mean, I love Twitter chats so much and I feel like um, it's such a unique way of building your, your online credibility and authority. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, I, I think in, in a way it's like you're, you're, you're the media, you're becoming your own host, whether it's a live or a Twitter chat. And um, how do you see that that has helped you and how can others take that idea and maybe apply it to Twitter or another channel? So I always felt like being on social media, you're of course building community, but it wasn't until I started a a Twitter chat that I felt like I had my own community of people that band together. And it's really spun off into uh, Zoom hangouts. I've got some merchandise that I'm going to introduce soon. And I've just really become what feels like close friends with complete strangers And they're just so incredible. If they see some trending topic, they'll tag me and say, hey, we'd love to talk about this during pop chat. It's just really made me feel like I have, uh, I've fostered a a community of of friends, honestly. And I I just feel so fortunate. Definitely. What are some of the social media trends that you're liking and that you're seeing are going to be, you know, even more in 2021 that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, well, Big in 2020, we saw a ton of nostalgia, especially in uh, industries like sports. When sports are at a complete halt, they had to really lean into nostalgia and show past game footage and things like that. I think we're going to continue to see nostalgia and just more pop culture references because 2020 proved that your business may not have a lot going on. There may not be a lot to talk about at the moment, but you can reference other things that are in the news and find ways to insert yourselves into that conversation. So I think we'll see more pop culture references, more interesting brand collaborations. I know we saw Lady Gaga and Oreo, for instance. I think we're going to see more brands attaching themselves to the music TV and movies conversation than ever before. I think brands, um, I, I totally agree. And I, and I actually like, I love that direction that brands are, are doing and yeah. that they're going into. And it's almost like brands have to become, you know, basically entertainers uh, yeah. this year, because like you said, there's not a lot to talk about and you can't really go anywhere, you know, many places on location. So how can they entertain and, you know, keep their audiences engaged and keep their attention. So what are some ways like if you're, you know, that you would recommend um, brands to do when it comes to maybe creating some entertaining types of content when nothing is going on? Where do you find it if you're not, you know, a professional sports team? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think anyone has the potential to engage when they make their content a conversation and when they're not just posting to hope people see it, but to actually involve people into the conversation and to have people participate. Because that's what makes it entertaining is when you feel like you're not only consuming it, but you have something to say and you have something to contribute and you want to see what other people are saying. And that's that's really going to foster that connection that brands want and we as people want. So I think simply, no matter what your industry is, ask more open-ended questions, find fun ways to maybe gamify your content and to just leave an opportunity for your audience to contribute uh, and, and really engage versus just posting things just to cross it off your list for the day. 
what can you do to engage your, your audience into the conversation? Any tips on social media content besides what we've already talked to that we should be doing differently this year than last year or what, what else is trending? I think, I mean, we hear this all the time, but social listening is so important, especially considering 2020 and heading into 2021. The things that we knew previously are changing. Our habits are changing. Uh, I was reading an article the other day about how there's a boom in at-home skincare because, you know, an at-home beauty because we're not going out to the salons and things anymore. So maybe there is some type of reference there or something that sparks an idea from our current habits and our trends and our behaviors that are changing every single day. So we're, we're kind of figuring things out along the way of how this pandemic is affecting all of us, which makes it even more important to listen and see how your audience's behaviors are shifting and making sure that your content addresses that and speaks to that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was um, actually on Clubhouse over the weekend listening so, to some digital marketers talking about content and how the shift, um, if you, you know, aren't already doing it, is to really focus on your more of the lifestyle side of things, even if it's, you know, if your product is whatever it is, that the content needs to be lifestyle oriented and relatable Mm -hmm. versus just basically like selling or, you know, looking at yourself almost like the way I like to put it is looking at your, your, each brand is like its own publisher of a magazine and each channel is its own publication. And what type of editorial content can you actually create around your brand, around your audience that is more on the editorial side? Yeah, I think that's a win-win. I mean, your audience is going to like it more and it's going to feel just more natural as a brand rather than promoting yourself the entire time, but to contribute to a fun conversation or a trending topic or something that is just more, more relevant to your audience's lifestyle. Your audience will appreciate it and your content is going to be more effective that way. When I was teaching my class at UF social media management, one thing that I loved about it, it was that I was kind of doing the same thing you're doing where I was consulting. And then I was also on the student side and it was really refreshing. And it really kept me ahead and uh, of what's current and what's happening so that I could keep my class kind of, you know, in the know. So I loved teaching and I also got a lot from what my students shared with me. How is it for you? Are there any things that you're are your students bringing to your attention that you might not have have known about, or you wouldn't look at it from that angle? I always say they teach me just as much as I, I teach them. And that's why it's so important that I have these open channels of communication with them. For at least one of my classes, we have an ongoing Facebook group where if they hear about something in the news or a a trend or a new innovation in social media, we empower each other um, to learn about it. And it's not just, I I can't know everything. Um, So I feel like we have that great relationship where they feel comfortable to also share their thoughts or say, hey, did you hear about this? Um, and to just keep it, us both learning from each other. So it's, it's been so rewarding for me. And like you said, I mean, there is this pressure to always stay on top of everything that's going on in this industry, but it's fun for me. It never really feels like work. I genuinely like learning about this stuff. And when I find something new that I I see in the news or whatnot, I, I can't wait to bring it to them and tell them about it. How often are you having to change your syllabus and update it from trends? Um, 
I'd say overall, the syllabus itself and the format stays the same. But, you know, for instance, I did a, a lecture yesterday where it was all about how to use different platforms for personal branding. And I just, this time I snuck Clubhouse in there, which wasn't in there last semester. So the overall subject matter is, is the same, but I'm afraid my lectures are getting a little bit longer because there's more to discuss and more innovations to introduce. Yeah, I mean, we're still in the middle of this um, the, a revolution, right? Yeah. Of an innovation is still happening, and things have changed so much in the past, like one year, yeah. six months, five years. It's crazy to look back and to see. I, I'm trying to think. Um, I think it was TikTok. I mean, I think that started like in 2016 or something, but it's just that wasn't that long ago. Right, right. And it wasn't as popular as it is now. It wasn't even on my radar, at least until last year, honestly, is when I started incorporating it into lecture content. So it definitely keeps us on our toes. Where do you think the industry is going? I always think about predictions like that. And usually I, I, I have trouble predicting because I've been surprised so many times. But I, what I always say is that no matter what types of innovations or platforms or changes happen in the future, at the end of the day, there are still people who are using these platforms or, or people who are behind uh, this content. You're creating content for people. So no matter what platform you're using or the format that you created in, I think as long as we remember that there are people with beating hearts and consciences and um, just in, in, incorporating empathy into everything that we do, we can really be prepared for any change that comes our way. I think that's the most important is just to be prepared for change because this isn't going to be, it's going to continue to go up and down. And what you think, right when you think like, oh, Facebook and Instagram, whatever, you know, something like Clubhouse comes along and completely shakes it up. And I really do think that Clubhouse has made some waves, especially in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. And it seems like to me, this is going to be the year of audio. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious to see how Twitter spaces comes into play and if that's going to uh, overtake Clubhouse and if Clubhouse is going to be a fad, but they have had such a growth in uh, users and everything. So it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Definitely. Definitely. So just circling back to your students and teaching, um, teaching any type, anything right now during the pandemic, not being able to go to in-person classes, not being able to go to in-person conferences has been a big shift and a big adjustment, whether you're in elementary school, high school, college, or in professional life, it's just, everything has changed. Mm -hmm. How is it, how have you adapted? What have you changed for your, your way of teaching and how have your students adapted? And what are some tips that you would, you give, you know, that you learned, let's say in 2020 and giving towards in 2021? Mm -hmm. Well, the same way I ask them to have empathy as content creators, I always try to have empathy as an instructor. I had a lot of students who just like all of us were facing unexpected things in our personal lives and with our jobs. So I have learned to, and, and the university backs me on this, just to be more flexible and understanding when these circumstances arise. Uh, I still admire them so much that they're working on these degrees and trying to better themselves amid all of this chaos. Um, so it's been eye-opening for me to just, I always try to help as much as I can, but I felt like recently I've really tried to go above and beyond as much as I could and to be as flexible and understanding as possible. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. 
things come up. None of us could have predicted a global pandemic, but we're all just doing our best. Yeah. There was a couple articles that came out in December that called this um, the lost generation of, you know, whether you're in college or high school, that you're really, um, you know, basically getting the short end of the stick on, in a lot of ways and teachers aren't able to help and aren't able to teach. And a lot of, a lot of educators just aren't equipped with the digital know-how and experience to just hop right on Zoom and figure out Google Docs and, and digital. They've, you know, maybe not had to do that. I mean, most teachers that I know are very, um, you know, they are not experienced and they're not active on social media because they're in person all the time and they don't care about building a social media channel or audience or followers. They may be on Facebook at night. So it's been definitely um, a struggle, but I think that uh, it just, it seems like there's so much determination and everything from the education side and also the students that everybody's working collaboratively to make it through this. And it's good to, it's good to see. And I see it also with my daughter who's in college that the professors are being um, much more empathetic and compassionate than prior to the pandemic. I mean, prior to the pandemic, nobody could live up to those rules and standards during the pandemic. I mean, just basically rules are like hard to, hard to, hard to have any rules right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like I'm writing more letters of recommendation than ever, but I'm happy to do it as long as they're getting out there. I know the job market is so difficult, but I, even long after the semester is over, I always want to be a helping hand whenever possible because it's rough out there. It is. It is. And one thing that I saw when I was a professor um, with my communications with my students and it's something that I try to teach my daughter and I'm actually um, launching an online course, parents um, survival guide to college. And it's for oh. the parents and the students, yeah. but it's helping them with communication um, when it comes to communicating with professors or with, um, you know, anyone at the universities or colleges and how you have to be proactive and, you know, different writing styles. And I'm sure you get a lot of, you know, different types of like really long emails and you were like trying to get to, okay, what's the point of this email? Right, I just right. need to help you and I need to, so do you have any communication tips um, to give and just digital communication in general, but that would help whatever level in your career you're in and people that aren't used to just hundred percent communicating via digital. Right. This is something that I've borrowed from Twitter as I've been trying to grow on that platform is at least with the 280 characters, I delete every single word that isn't absolutely necessary in my tweets these days. And I've started approaching my email that way. And I look at old emails I'm, I've written and I'm appalled at how long they are. So it's really about writing for clarity, clearly getting to the point you know, bulleting if you have to, just being as concise and direct as possible. You're not, you're not selling the message short by making it shorter, literally. You are communicating better and it, it'll challenge you to just get down to the exact thing you need and you'll probably get an answer faster too. So uh, concise, clear, direct, that is always the way to go. Yes, and I also like to say to make a lot of space in between sentences. Like you don't have to have just one long paragraph. It's harder to read. Formatting. It's the little things like that, that makes such a big difference. You're absolutely right. I appreciate that so much. 
just indent a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Um, another thing I'd like to get your take on that I, I didn't realize this until my daughter is now in college and and the, the communication, basically how to be proactive in communicating and not just communicate when you need something. I mean, that's a basic professional um, kind of like we say that all the time in PR, when you're pitching a journalist, don't just go to the journalist when you need them, you want them to do a story, like create a relationship with them, yes. start, you know, letting them know, you know, little things like, oh, I read this article. And I think that the same, this, you know, goes across in, in professional life, but also in, in college life, I think it's important for students to really understand that, you know, maybe on the first day, say, hey, and, you know, I'm so-and-so, and not when you're like, about to maybe possibly miss a test and need an extension that you use the first time you introduce yourself to somebody. And I, I believe if students were taught that, like that basic work ethic type of communication, that it would translate over into their professional life a lot quicker. And they would see that developing a relationship, even with a professor is as important as developing a relationship in your professional life. Yeah. It really means everything. Just those, those little things. And I compare it a lot to just real life relationships. You know, if, if you were at dinner with someone, you wouldn't not acknowledge them or not address them or not say hello. Um, it all comes down to just translating the decency and courtesy that you'd expect in person, just figuring out how that translates online. It can be a little hard to figure out along the way, but really it comes down to those, those DMS, those emails and just staying top of mind as much as possible. Yeah. You, you'll never regret building that relationship. Uh, I had a student recently who sent me one of her graduation announcements in the mail and it just, it, it warmed my Aww. heart so much. It was such a small um, but it was, it's on my fridge and I'm like, I, I haven't had a student do that before. And it just blew me away. And it, like you said, it, it makes me want to uh, help that student uh, in, in her future as much as I can, just because I do have that relationship with her. Right. And she's definitely going to stand out. Yeah. That's awesome. Any other um, communication tips, whether it's email etiquette or messaging etiquette um, from a professional standpoint that you can share that you see working? So this might be a little bit unconventional, but every opportunity that I've always gotten, I have been the squeaky wheel when it comes to communication. I have a lot of students who, you know, will, and friends, just really anyone who will apply for a job or express interest in something, but not do that consistent follow-up where I would always be the one if I was applying for something. I would cyberstalk that company, get the name of someone that I could talk to and reach out to on LinkedIn. Um, I've even gone as far as dropping off my resume in person on occasion. I've, I've done that twice and both times I got the job. And I think we are conditioned to think that you're being bothersome or annoying, but it's really the opposite. You're seen as being tenacious and ambitious and whoever you're trying to connect with will respect your, uh, your tenacity there. So be the squeaky wheel, do a little cyber stalking. It's always helped me along the way. <laughs> Definitely. Don't be afraid to be proactive is what I always say. Just, right. yeah. That's a sure better that way of putting it. <laughs> you're, yeah. Well, both ways staying in front and, you know, and standing out. If you, if you don't stand out, I mean, you're going to be competing with hundreds against for a job, or you're going to be one of hundreds, maybe in your class or um, so it's just right now, I think that 
being creative and being effective with your communication and very purposeful, like you said, like taking out unnecessary words is such a great tip that I think that um, a lot of people don't really get that type of advice, whether it's professionally or even, you know, in school. Yeah. And one more thing on that that I'll add is that that's why I'm still such a big uh, proponent of the cover letter, because the cover letter is your chance to show you're going to go that extra mile, write that paper or or make your case for why you're perfect for this position. When so many other candidates blow it off, they think cover letters are dead, but it's still a really powerful communication tool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. I love talking about branding and especially pop culture and let us know, um, just give us um, the details again about pop chat and where we can find you and any other social media channels that we should follow you on. Yeah, I'm primarily on Twitter. My handle is Brienne. 2k like y2k um and pop chat is every friday at 1 p.m you can follow the hashtag pop chat and you can also listen to my podcast it's called making the brand on spotify and all of the podcast distribution channels this was a blast thank you so much yes (laughs) we'll put all the links in the show notes so if everyone's listening you don't have to worry about taking notes you can just go straight to socialprsecrets.com and get all the links but thank you so much and we'll look forward to seeing you on pop chat Sounds good. Thanks, Lisa. And go Gators. (laughs) Go Gators. Yes, definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.